0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Today I'm playing the part of Eddie. And, uh, you know, this morning I was a little, you know, jealous because he's got more hair than I do. But I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable because I see some of my bald brothers out in the audience. It's good to... (laughs) I did look at you. Uh let's not forget rich back there rich gives me a hard time about not shaving my head so i'm trying to you know trying to look better i look better today all right well today uh i appreciate the opportunity to be here first and foremost i thank you Uh, i thank you for the warm welcome that uh, my wife and i've had and greeting and stuff it's good to be here It's good to be a part of God's kingdom that allows these things to happen. Amen? Amen. And today we're going to be talking about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And my hope is that before you leave here today, you know what kind of friend Jesus really is. But more than that, I hope that you have a deeper understanding of how you can become a friend like Jesus to others. So are you ready to take a trip? So if you're ready to take a trip, say, I'm ready. ready. Okay, so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, turn over to Luke chapter 5. As we take a trip, I'm reminded of a trip I took a long time ago. Um, It was back before I was in full-time ministry. I was a robotics engineer. And I used to design and program machinery And this particular machine was getting shipped to California, and I'd never been to California before. So I was kind of excited to go. That was one of the benefits of of working that job, was being able to go and see different places. And I get out there, and and I wanted to go see the West Coast, because I've never seen the West Coast before. And so a guy that I worked with that had been out there a few times, he took me out to see the coast. And we got out there, and there's these huge waves crashing into these huge rocks. And I mean... Huge rocks, like half of this uh, downstairs part, big, huge rocks. And we're climbing out on the rocks and going down and climbing out on more rocks and getting farther and farther out where we can get to where the water's at. And I had my camera with me because photography is one of those hobbies that I have. And I'm definitely not a professional by any means. And uh, so I'm taking pictures because I really wanted to capture a picture like this for my portfolio. Like, ah, I really want this. And so I'm taking pictures, I'm taking pictures. This is 20 years ago, and I didn't have the top-of-the-line camera 20 years ago. It, you know, it was not the top-of-the-line even 20 years ago. And so I'm pressing the button, and I could literally hear the delay in the camera. I hit the button and click, click. And so there's this huge delay. And I'm missing, I, I know I'm missing this picture. You know, it wasn't digital, you couldn't see, you had to develop the film. You guys remember developing film? You had to develop film. But I I can tell, like, and then my camera go click, click. I'm like, oh, well, that's not even close. And so I asked the guy that I was with, hey, can you help me out? Can you, my camera's got this delay, but I think I've got the delay figured out that if you tell me, if you watch the wave, because I'm trying to watch the wave come in, and I'm trying to get the picture set and the frame right, and I can't do both. So if you watch the wave and you tell me right when it touches the bottom of the rock, I think if I press the button, I'll get this picture. He goes, oh, yeah, I can help you with that. So now I'm thinking, picture's not all about framing. It's also about angles. And so then I think, you know, I get, like, way down on this rock I'm on, this huge rock. And it's about 15 feet down. And I don't know how deep the water is. It's like 2 feet or 15 feet. I I don't don't know. But I'm zoomed out on this rock way over here. and, And I go, okay. And he goes, okay, get ready, get ready. Here's this huge wave coming. Ready? And I'm like this. And he goes, one, two. Three, now. And I press the button, and right when I press the button, this huge wave crashes onto the rock that I'm standing on. (laughs) And the wave comes crashing over, and it floods over me, and here's the picture I got. (laughs) Not one for the portfolio. (laughs) So I'm drenched, you know, in the winds, and I'm cold, and I look around and he's way back there on the edge of the rock and he's laughing, <laughs> he thinks it's funny. And he goes, hey, you know what, we got to get out of here, the tide's starting to come in. You know, and I'm from around here, like, tide, he's like, these rocks will be totally engulfed in water. We've got to get off the rocks. So we start making our way back and we go across this huge rock. And in the middle of this huge rock, there's this uh, pool, this tide pool. And I start looking at it, and it's really beautiful. You know, there's like these shrimps and crab and little fish and and anemones. And of course, a clown fish, because every community needs a clown. Which, who would that be here? (laughs) Everybody says Eddie. (laughs) That's awesome. But I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really beautiful. But the more I looked at it, the more I began to feel sorry for it. Because I realized that every now and then, the tide would come in and totally engulf this little community. And and it was this little community, like small town USA, would be engulfed. And, And it was like they instantly became aware of something bigger, a world bigger, a better world, a wonderful world a world that the depths that they could not even fathom. And I felt sorry because it was like this bigger world was inviting them out to be a part of it. But they decided to stay where they were. And isn't that true about us sometimes? Isn't Sometimes God flood in on us and and he invites us to, to, to be a part of his kingdom, which is bigger and better and more wonderful than we can even imagine. Today, as we go forward, we're trying to go forward. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> Today, as we talk about Jesus, the friend of sinners, I want to go over to uh, Luke chapter 5. But before we get there, I want to talk about something. I want to make this very clear. Before we get in the depths of this lesson, I want you to understand that I understand and I know that God hates sin. And I want that clear because I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying today. So please understand that I know that God hates sin. But what I want to do is I want to look at God's ability to look past the darkness, to look through the weakness, to look through the sin, and see the sinner. And, and not just see the sinner, but to love the sinner. And not just to love the sinner, but to genuinely love the sinner. And not in a conditional base. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to love this person because I know one day they're going to repent. No, God looks past all that. He loves genuinely. And I want us to look at that today. And I'm not even really comfortable calling them sinners. Because Jesus calls them lost. And I like that. Because it it speaks of their need for direction. So let's get some direction from Luke chapter five. In Luke chapter five, we're, we're introduced to this guy named Peter. Peter the fisherman, Simon Peter the fisherman. Now, we don't have fishermen here. Some of you are probably going, hey, wait a minute. We have anglers here. (laughs) I mean, you get nice anglers, don't you? But you don't get nice fishermen. I mean, fishermen, real fishermen are hard men. They're rough men, manly men, deadliest catch kind of men. And considering the size of boats that they used to have on the rough seas of Galilee, and we've probably all heard lessons about the rough seas of Galilee, considering the boats they had, it must have been kind of scary out there. But there's this touching story at the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. And Peter had been out all night fishing, which means he was exhausted because he caught nothing. And seeing all the anglers, well, I've been fishing all night. It wasn't exhausting. See, to a fisherman, this is what happens. And when we were in Tanzania, we're missionaries in Tanzania for two years. We actually got to see this happen. There's these two small canoes, and in one, in the first canoe, it had each each canoe had two people in it. One was in the back paddling, and the other person was in the front. In the first boat, it was filled with the net, and the second boat would come along, and the and the person in the front would grab the front of the net, and he would start paddling in a big circle. And the and the net boat, the guy paddling had to stay had to, the challenge of staying where he was in the water. And they would circle out in a big circle, dropping down the net, and, and sometimes as big as this room, and let it go down with the weights. And then they would circle back around, and then they'd wait a while. And then they would pull that net up, this huge net under the water. And if you've ever net fished, I mean, I've got a, a six and a half foot net. You throw that thing out, sometimes it gets hard to pull in. It gets weighted down. I can't imagine this big of a net. They were out all night and caught nothing. So they were exhausted. And Jesus comes to them and he says, hey, go back out and cast your net out into the deep. And Peter says, Lord, we've been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. Which the way that you say that in Aramaic is like this. What? <laughs> you want me to do What? And we're like that sometimes, right? We're not much different than Peter. Sometimes God comes and asks us to do things, and we go, you want me to do what? And like Peter, we, we say, OK, since it's you, Lord, since it's Jesus, then I'll go ahead and do those things. So Peter goes out, and, and you guys have probably all heard this story. He, he goes out, and they cast their nets, and they start pulling up the nets. And there are so many fish that the nets start breaking. And the other boat, he calls the other boat in, and they're filling up the boat, so much so that their boats are sinking. Brothers and sisters, isn't it amazing that an ounce of obedience brings on the blessings of God? Just an ounce God's looking for. And 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 here they are. They're 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 getting this huge blessing and everyone around them is being benefited by this blessing that Jesus is giving him. And and you know that's exactly what a blessing is supposed to be. It's supposed to bless people around you. If you think that God blesses you and it's supposed to stay with you then you're misunderstanding the biblical concept of a blessing. Because really, it's like those champagne tower glasses. You ever seen one of these where they stack up all these champagne glasses, and then they take a bottle and they start filling the first one? And they start filling it until it overflows. And then it fills the one beneath it. And it fills those around, and it fills those beneath. that, and, and the blessings just keep flowing down. That's the biblical concept of a blessing. It's, a not, supposed to, it's not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to bless everyone around you. So here's Jesus. And here's Peter. And he's catching all these fish. Can you imagine the excitement? So much that the boat is filled up and it's sinking. he's so excited. And he turns to Jesus and he says, go away from me. For I am a sinful man. Does that seem like a strange response to you? I mean, here's Jesus. He's given Peter everything that he thinks life is about. He's blessing him beyond any blessing that he's ever had about what life is about for Peter right now. And Peter says, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Listen, church. We don't persuade people of their need for forgiveness by yelling about their sin. We persuade people of their need for forgiveness by sharing the wonderful, incredible, immaculate life of Jesus Christ. Romans 2, verse 4 says, It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, it's the kindness that leads people to repentance. Amen? One day, I think that we're actually going to live that out. So, as we go forward, William Barclay speaks of a man who rode the train in from the countryside into London every day to go to work. And as he rode the train, he goes by this mansion, this beautiful mansion, beautiful white mansion, and it's just immaculate with the backdrop of the blue skies and the greenery all around it. And he's just amazed by it. But then as the seasons go and and winter comes, one night the snow falls and it covers the countryside. And instantly the mansion is made up for what it really is, an imposter of purity. See, we can talk about sin all we want, but unless we have something like the snow to compare it to, then it's nothing more than the normal of society. You see, that's like this. I like to play soccer. I grew up playing soccer, but I don't need you to show me a video of me playing soccer to know how far short I follow the standard. Just show me a video of Pele or Lionel Messi or any one of the greats and I'll instantly know how far short I fall. In fact, show me one 10-second video of Michael Jordan and I will instantly know how far short of the basketball standard I fall. See, we don't need that, do we? What happens? We, We come to talk to people about their sin. You come to me and you talk to me about my sin like I don't know it's there. I mean, do you honestly think that spending five or ten minutes with me and you find something sinful in my life and you, you, you need to point it out like I don't know it's there when I live with it 24-7? I, I don't need you to point out my sin. I need to know the way out of my sin. Don't tell me not to sin. I know I shouldn't sin. I need to know how not to sin. I need you to show me the one who will deliver me from sin. I need you to show me him. I need you to show me Jesus. I mean, what is it about us that sometimes we we start yelling about people's sin, and then we go out and call that gospel preaching? You know I, I think about I think about God listening in on some of our conversations. And I think it breaks his heart. And I think I think he hates it. Because I, we talk about homosexuality like we ourselves have never had an immoral thought in our mind. We talk about alcoholism and drunkards as though we ourselves have never overindulged in anything. We talk about drugs and druggies and drug dealers like we ourselves are not addicted to something in our society. And we talk about, we talk about abortion like we ourselves have never killed something holy in the eyes of God. Don't get me wrong, I mean, these things need to be talked about, they do. And we hear that and we go, oh, well, then And it's like the pendulum swings. And then all of a sudden everything becomes okay. And that's got to break God's heart. And we just throw his morality out. That's got to break his heart more than anything. These things, they do need to be talked about, but we've got to talk about them in the light of God's truth. But we don't need to talk about them as if we ourselves are God. I mean, what is it that makes other people's sin so bad? Is it because it's other people's sin? Is that what makes it so bad? I mean, do we honestly believe that it takes more grace to cover other people's sin than our sin? I mean, what are we reading? Listen, church. There was only one person, one person ever, who was qualified to condemn sinners, and he came to save us. There was only one person ever qualified to condemn sinners, and he didn't. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? So here's Peter. He tells Jesus, Turn away from me, for I am a sinful man. (laughs) As opposed to what? Apparently, Peter was under the understanding that there were some men that didn't have any sin. Maybe Peter knew some churchgoers that weren't telling their whole story. Or maybe Peter knew some churchgoers who had never yet seen the snow. In any case, Peter was in the presence of someone who showed him up for everything that he was. He says, turn away from me. But here's the thing. Peter didn't have to, did he? Because Jesus knew every impure thought. He knew every impure action, every impure word. Jesus knew every unrighteous thing that Peter ever did in his life. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that Jesus looked through all of that. He looked past all of that, and he saw a heart that would, if he could... Brothers and sisters, people don't need to see our brilliance. They need to see that we struggle with sin, yet we still love one another. And you know what? If we can't do that, then I don't want your friendship. I don't want your fellowship if it's based upon my moral performance. Because if you just spend a little bit of time with me, if your friendship and fellowship is based upon my moral performance, just spend 30 minutes with me. Spend five minutes with my wife. She'll tell you, it's all over. I'm a sinner. You know what I need? I need your friendship and your fellowship based upon knowing that I'm not perfect. I need your friendship and your fellowship based upon knowing that I'm a sinner, knowing that I need help just as much as you do. Luke chapter 7, a different Simon, Simon the Pharisee, a Simon that Jesus didn't change his name. Simon invites Jesus over for dinner at his house. And Scripture says a sinful woman comes in, as opposed to what, right? And, and commentaries say, and, and I think they're right, I believe it's true, that this woman was a prostitute. Here's a woman who struggles under the weight of prostitution. Here's a woman who literally gives herself away to men for money. Sex for money. Does that disgust you? Can you imagine what it makes them feel like who have to live with it every single day? Simon, he doesn't say anything. He just thinks to himself, well, if Jesus really were a prophet, then he would know who this is and what type of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus, to prove that he's a prophet, answers Simon's thoughts and says, Simon, you know, when I came to your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. Yet she's washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon, you, you didn't greet me with a holy kiss, which is customary in our culture, but she's not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't... You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me with her ointment. And he looks at Simon and he says, do you see this woman? Which is a really good question, isn't it? Because Simon didn't see the woman, did he? He saw the prostitute. He saw the drunkard. He saw the alcoholic. He saw the abortionist. Simon saw everything but the woman. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? Though her sins are many, he doesn't even gloss over that, does he? He says, Simon, though her sins are many, he says that because he knows how grateful she's about to be because Jesus knows how gracious he's about to be to her. And he says, though she has many sins and I know them, they are forgiven. Amen? There's forgiveness to be found at the feet of Jesus. And one thing's for sure about this story, brothers and sisters, these people, they better be welcome at our table or we're not going to be welcome at God's table. And someone might say, know, oh, wait a minute. Stop going so easy on sin. I'm not going easy on sin, OK? I know God hates sin. Jesus was hard on sin. But he was harder. He hammered something more than anything else in his ministry. He was hard on those who were hard on sinners. He called them whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed, butter wouldn't melt. You look good on the outside. But on the inside, you're nothing but dead bones. He says you talk a good talk, but you're not clean. And you'll never be clean because you don't think you need to be cleansed. And so you'll never come to my feet to get forgiveness. And because you never will, you'll never be clean. Jesus was hard on those people. But he looked past all the sin, he saw the sinners. Have you seen the movie, The Mission? It's based on a true story. It's got Robert De Niro in it, and it's based in the time period of 1700s. It portrays the Roman church colonizing South America. Robert De Niro is a soldier in this effort. And his job is to literally go out. And if there's any native tribes or native people that are getting in the way, then his job is to kill them. And it's based on a true story. But there's a point in here where his character goes through this transition of killing them to helping them and helping them to serving them to eventually defending them. And as a point of one of his penance. he's shown dragging this net filled with the implements that he used to use, all his armor and his sword and everything about it. And he's tied a rope to this net and he's, he's dragging it through the rainforest of South America. And this is everything that he used to sin against these people. And he's, he's trying to scale the mountains like a goat, and he's got this thing tied to him, and he's struggling. And the more he climbs, the more he struggles. And, of course, it's the rainforest. And so it's raining, which makes the mud come. And then it gets really slick. It makes it even more difficult to climb. And he falls several times. And you can see that he's starting to have this weight, and it's almost overbearing. But he continues on, he continues through into the deepest parts of the rainforest. He keeps dragging it everywhere he goes. And pretty soon he comes across this native tribe, and they know who he is because he's actually killed some some of their relatives. And of course they're upset, so they go grab a knife and run over there, and they're yelling and screaming in their native language. And he knows he deserves to die. And then the chief looks out and yells something, and they take the knife and cut the rope. And take that huge bag. Of stuff and push it over the cliff and it washes away in the river. Brothers and sisters, that's God. God does not want us to be burdened with our sin. God doesn't want us to carry around our sin in some effort to show how sorry we are. He knows we're sorry. He wants us to be free from our sin. Galatians 5 says, it was for freedom that Christ came to give to set you free. Amen? Amen? Christ came to give you freedom. And what he did on the cross, the sacrifice that he gave on the Christ cross to give us freedom is beyond measure. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you feel like you have no need to repent. That's fair. But let me warn you. One day, the snow will fall. And you'll find how far you've fallen from Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to really appreciate the depths of God's grace and mercy. We need to appreciate the fact that He can handle our weakness. You know what? We need to become a friend like Jesus to others. I guess what I'm saying is this. Every now and again, God's tide comes flooding into your life. And he makes you aware of something bigger, something better, a world, a kingdom that the depths and wonders you can't even fathom. What I'm saying is this. Don't be content in your little tide pool, in your little pond, when God is inviting you out to the ocean. So if you're here today and and you need to find forgiveness, or you need prayers of encouragement, whatever your need is, please come forward as we stand and sing.